Hey, good morning, everybody. We, uh, we're going to get into the, the Bible here in just a minute. You know, this week, uh, in preparing this, I want to just start off, though, by saying it was really rough. I had the hardest time I think I've ever had in preparing a sermon. I think I got about 3,000 extra words on paper that you're not going to hear today. So that's a bonus, at least. But man, just wrestling with what to say, how to say it, what, what's going on here. Well, I, I, let me give you a little story to, to kind of track with, with the difficulty. Um, when I was around 15, I started reading the Bible for myself. Got to know Jesus and started to just launch into undercovering what is this Bible saying enjoying it, reading by the, you know, just a couple verses or a couple chapters until, until eventually my, my Bible began to disintegrate and had to get a new one. I just, I loved it. It was so good. And then at some point in my 20s, I'm reading along it, I think it was in the Old Testament, and, and all of a sudden, bam, I just hit a wall. I hit this story that I'm like, what is this doing in here? What does this say about God? I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this. I don't like this. And I, I kind of went into a tailspin. I'm, I'm trying to, to, to gather my thoughts about what I think about it. And, and oh, there's alarm bells going off in my head because I'm like, well, if I, if I don't buy into this, then my whole faith starts to get shaky because what about the other parts of the Bible? How can I trust those either? Anybody ever been there before? There's a lot in this book. Well, this morning we are going to wrestle with a difficult story. Some difficult themes. Initially, I thought, you know, I could avoid this and just skirt around this stuff. But part of me was drawn to it, to, to try and wrestle through it and help our community to wrestle because of how it forms us if we do and how it deforms us if we don't. You're welcome to uh, look in with me. 2 Kings chapter 1, that's where we're going to be camping for the first part here. But I'm going to just more tell the story, and even better yet, we're going to do a little bit of drawing here. So uh, here's, here's how it goes. We got King Ahab, really bad dude, married to King Queen Jezebel, even worse, right? They have a son named Ahaziah, who takes the reins when Ahab dies. Now, one day... King Ahaziah is up here on the rooftop of his house, and he has a great fall. Humpty Dumpty falls down, and he gets hurt bad. Now, oh, that is bad, isn't it? The kid knows. So he is he's laid out, and, uh, you know, he... Could have gone to the ER, but my wife and I found out that is really expensive recently. And so he's like, I'll pass. Instead, he calls on, let's, let's find out from the local gods whether I'm going to pull out of this or not. You know, it's definitely cheaper 
than going to the ER. And I don't know about Obamacare, whether it's covered, but he, he's going that route. Elijah, meanwhile, he's over here, and he is uh, he's listening to God, he's God's prophet. An angel comes and visits him. Angel says, hey, tell King Ahaziah that because you did not listen to the real God and consult him, but instead look to these foreign gods, which is what I've been telling your people to not do for years, he's going to die. Ooh, rough message. Well, the king gets wind of this, and he doesn't like that at all. And so he, he sends this troop of, of soldiers, not just a couple, but 50, to go and threaten Elijah and say, Elijah, come down there. In fact, let's read, because this is where the story gets kind of sticky. Let's read it together here. Man of God, together. Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Boom. Zap. Fire comes down, consumes 51 guys. Dead as a doornail. Wow. Yikes. It's kind of intense. Not a little heavy-handed, God? I mean, you know, they were just following the king's orders and just going to toast them? Well, a couple verses later, part two, same deal. 50 guys plus one captain equals barbecue. 102 men, gone, dead. Children are left fatherless. Wives who kissed their husbands goodbye that morning. Never going to see them again. Whoa. Is, is this okay? Did, did this really happen? You know, it definitely says, don't mess with this guy or his God. But where's the God of forgiveness and grace that we sing about? God who's slow to anger. I mean, this seems like a misdirected, senseless violence. Anyone wrestled with this? In studying this passage, I discovered that some theologians believe that this was immoral. Therefore, it didn't happen. Because God can't do immoral things. Okay, that's one way to solve it, but... uh, that makes really the whole story start to get a little bit 
unsettled. I mean, then what do you do with Jesus' miracles, his resurrection? Did that happen? I mean, it's not really possible scientifically, so maybe that didn't happen either. You see how this this starts to build on itself when, when we wrestle with things or we don't wrestle with them? Tim Keller writes, A believer's faith can collapse overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Our doubts should only be discarded after long reflection. If we wrestle together, it forms us. If we sweep it under the rug and don't deal with it, it deforms us. The question won't go away. It'll just erode your faith. And then what is left to shape us but everything else? Culture, politicians, books written by imperfect people. TV shows. Friends, it's okay to be disturbed by this story, fire from heaven. That means you're thinking. The key is to refrain from judging. To do the work, the grappling with a text. And coming out the other side with more understanding. Another part that's really important in the process is to wrestle, but to wrestle together in community like this. To find that you're not the only one who's struggled with some passage. And that there are others who are further along than you. Others who have been down the road, people who are brilliant and studied for years into into the languages and on and on and on, who can help in that process. This is why we're so fired up about small groups here at Hillcrest. Why we want each person to be in one. And why we're looking for new leaders over here to start some new groups. So that everybody doesn't just study the Bible alone, but can have others that they work through these things with. So we wrestle and we do so together. Next, as we try to understand a verse in the Bible it's always important to remember the context. Who was it written to? What were they like? What was happening in culture, in history at the time? These sorts of things will help us because if we try to superimpose Bellingham 2016, our own culture lens to try and understand this stuff, we'll brick it. We'll, We'll get it wrong. So in this case, we have a God who is real and he really did rescue his people from terrible slavery in Egypt. Took them out to this promised land, a real geographical place called Israel and formed a people that were holy, that were set apart in a place where he could launch the rescue mission that he's been planning for all eternity. That was God's plan. 
Now, along the way, we have war as a way of life. I mean, it's like springtime comes. Hey, it's spring. Let's go to war. Where are you guys at? No, let's go up north and fight these guys. And I think we got some guys coming over from the east next uh, March, you know. It was just how people rolled. And, and religion was a matter of life or death. Whose God is the real God? If you've been with us these past months, you'll remember some of the stories about Elijah and his life, how he was probably quite known in the land by this time. All the miraculous things that he'd been part of that, that were supposed to clearly show that Yahweh is the one true God. And here's, here's King Ahaziah in his desperate hour who should know better, who should know to look to Yahweh. But what does he do? Gives, gives him the stiff arm and heads off to, to listen to other gods. And so God defends Elijah as one who spoke for him. And the, the, the result this voice from heaven speaks to Elijah. Elijah speaks back. And the next thing we know, these people are dead. End of story. Or is it? You know... As I, as I wrestled through this, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, to put wrapping paper and a bow on this in 30 minutes. It wasn't going to be an easy text for us to just finish up with and move on. I wasn't completely satisfied with the, the commentaries, with the study that I did. It's still it's a little disconcerting. That doesn't make it untrue. I so appreciated being able to meet with Jeff Mumley this last Thursday. He's one of the pastors up at Western. And he uh, works with college students all the time who bring questions like this one. Difficult questions. And so he shared with me a a wonderful analogy that I'll give to you right now. It goes like this. Let's say that... Our wonderful, sweet, meek and mild Pastor Tim is on vacation last week and we hear that he punched somebody's lights out. Whoa, Tim. What are we going to think? There must be more to the story. Yeah, there must be more to the story. Because Tim's just not like that. He doesn't punch people. He's very well-mannered. He's a kind man. I work with him. I've never felt threatened. There, There must have been some really good, really good justification for Tim to just pop somebody. Same goes for God. If we look throughout the arc of Scripture and we get to know this God, and we look throughout all of history and see His faithfulness, and we look at our own lives, we're able to begin to trust Him more and more. 
And so we can, we can look at passages like this and say with real confidence, there must be more to the story. For God always does what is righteous. He never does wrong. We can be confident that way. So as we, we bump into difficult Bible passages like this, we need to not run away. We've got to wrestle. Second, not to do that alone. Do it in community. Third, remember our context of what, what culture's like back there. And fourth, try and be conscious of God's character in the rest of Scripture. Now, nowhere does God's character be more clearly revealed than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If we read about his life, we see a person who is utterly different in what he taught than anybody who's ever come before or after. Incredible, the works that he did. He revealed God to us. So as we wrestle with the justification for Elijah's fire from heaven, let's turn to chapter 9 in the Gospel of Luke. You'll have to flip to the other end of your Bible. It's just after Matthew and Mark. And let's look at this story that the writer shares. Elijah, by the way, he's going to show up some four times in this chapter. We're not going to look at all of them. We'll jam, examine just a few. Skip down to verse 54 to see the context that Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way down south to Jerusalem. And they have to travel through this place called Samaria, the same place that Elijah battled with these, these kings hundreds of years before. And the same response that they had to Elijah, wanting nothing to do with his, him or his God, it's the same response that Jesus and his, his disciples experience. Let's read verse 54. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Aha, here we are. Back to Elijah and the fire. I, I love this story. I wish I could have been there as a, a fly on the wall to, to see it. Here's how I'd see it going down. You know, they're like, Jesus, Jesus, hey, can, these guys, can you believe them? They can't be, they can't be doing that. Can we call down fire and smoke those fools? Come on, Jesus, turn around. Really? Guys, after all my teaching about forgiving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, after, after I spoke to the woman at the well and was so forgiving, you're really going to tell me to, to, to just torch this whole town? Oh, man. I mean, I, I don't know what it went like, but that, I could see that kind of thing happening because that was uh, what we read in verse 55. He turns and he rebukes them. So 
So Jesus doesn't rain down fire and even rebukes his disciples for proposing such a thing. This is our God, slow to anger, abounding in love. But careful. Because this isn't, this isn't the only Jesus. This doesn't mean that this is, Jesus would never do such a thing. For, you know, we, we have to be honest. Jesus says some really difficult things. Things that are, that are so difficult that many disowned him. And, and some of the words even got him crucified. Things like, I am the only son of God. I am the only way to heaven. You're either with me or you're against me. The road to life is narrow and few find it, but the road to death is wide and many find it. That the coming judgment of Sodom, talking Sodom, the coming judgment of Sodom would be more bearable than the judgment to towns that rejected him. Is that coming judgment headed our way? Bellingham? Yikes. That's not very nice, Jesus. It's definitely not not politically correct. It's, It's not very tolerant. You know, I'll be honest. I wrestle with passages like we've read. As a guy who was brought up in the Northwest, place where everybody gets a trophy, where you should always respect everyone's beliefs and nobody ever say anything disagreeable than, than somebody else about their beliefs. And if you have your beliefs, that's fine, as long as they don't infringe on me. I kind of want everybody to win. I want this this fairy tale, this happily ever after for everybody. I don't want people to be uncomfortable by me saying that Jesus is the only way to God. I don't want to be accused of hate speech because of things that the Bible has to say about sexuality. The trouble is that pretty soon this Bible starts to erode And I find myself maybe wanting to erase some of the things that it says, like a lot of churches are doing these days. Maybe maybe we shouldn't call it the Holy Bible because, you know, holy is kind of, it's such an archaic word. I mean, nobody, nobody calls God holy. It just sounds really stuffy. Let's just call it the Bible. Or how about how about a Bible? Let's go with a Bible. Because, you know, there are, there are lots of other good spiritual books. There are many paths to God. And we don't want to offend anybody 
by asserting that this is the Bible, this is the Word of God. Well, pretty soon, we're going to just have a Bible, as in, it's what me, myself, and I believe how I interpret the Bible and what I say can be in it or should be taken out of it. (sighs) Anybody else struggle with that? Wanting to be respected, wanting to have people like you? Wondering if we need to change the story of who God is to make Him more presentable to our culture? If you're with us today and you're just checking out Christianity, if you find this story of God raining fire from heaven to be offensive, I get it. It's alarming. But it doesn't make it untrue. You know, we don't like to believe on a day like this, that 43 degrees, gray skies, 4.30 p.m., darkness is coming. But it is. It's true. And I mean, this same place, can it be? It doesn't feel like it. So beautiful out. Oh man. Friends, if we end up with an idol, it ain't far from an idol. And maybe maybe our holy idol becomes just full of holes from all the things that we've cut out of it. And we have a holy idol, which is really like Tim was saying last week, we begin to worship something made in our own image. And we're not being formed by the idol. We're forming it to us. And so I have this decision to make, and so do you. It's not one that's a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. Will we wrestle with this book in community? Will we allow the story to change us? To make us more like Jesus? Instead of trying to change the story to make Jesus more like us. More like our culture. Who do you say I am? Asks Jesus in verse 20. Is he really asking for our opinion of him? Do we really get to assign him his place? Oh yeah, who do I say Jesus is? He's a teacher. He's a good prophet. He's a sage. Do his thoughts matter any more than those of Hillary Clinton? Or Donald Trump? LeBron or Beyonce? Bill Gates? Or Oprah? Or are they all about on par. Who do you say I am? 
Not who is Jesus to you, but who is Jesus really? Many of us would say Jesus is the Savior of the world. But do we also find ourselves asserting that the Jesus I know would never rain down fire from heaven? The Jesus I know would never command people to repent. The Jesus I know would never kick people out of heaven. The Jesus I know doesn't speak into politics. He doesn't speak into our sexuality, our marriages, our finances. The Jesus that I know is pretty weak. Friends, the hard-hitting truth is that Jesus could have called down fire from heaven on all of us and wiped us out, been fully justified in doing so. I know we don't like to think of ourselves in this way. In this time of of real, like, pat yourself on the back and your self-esteem is really important. But the truth is, We all turned our back on God, gave him the finger, said, I'm doing my own thing. Thank you very much. Stay out of it. Herein lies the wonder of his great love. As he was gearing up for the final showdown, going to make his way south towards Jerusalem, not to call fire down on his enemies, but to die on a cross, to bear a curse, to, to have the curse of fire fall on him. Who should he meet? But Elijah himself, back from heaven. There on a mountaintop, Jesus body is transfigured he's glowing and Elijah is there with him not to encourage him you know what you should really do call down fire on these guys no but to encourage Jesus because he is doing this literally life-threatening thing this thing that no one of us would ever walk into yeah I'm gonna go walk down and get crucified and so Moses And Elijah meet him there and they give him encouragement to follow along the road of this plan that was from the beginning of time set out. And so, on the night before this plan was to take place, be put into effect, Jesus gathered his disciples. He took bread. He broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do we need Jesus' body to be broken for us? Or is that something for back then? Culture would say, no, we don't need Jesus' body broken for us. There's many ways to God. Thanks anyway. That's nice for you. And then after supper, 
Jesus probably with hands trembling as he considered how his body was going to be mutilated in the next 24 hours and how he would stop breathing on that cross. He took a cup and he said to his disciples, this is red wine. This is my blood. The blood of a new covenant. A new deal between you and God. And it's for the forgiveness of your sins. Do we need somebody to take that fire from heaven? Or is that just something for back then? That we have progressed beyond that now. And we realize that, you know, God already, he, just, he forgives us. We didn't need that penalty to be paid. There was no other way, friends. No other way to wipe the slate clean. No payment would be enough but the blood of the Son of God. This is the true story we find ourselves in, whether we feel like it or not. I'm going to have servers come down and take the elements to various stations. And as they do, I'd encourage us to think about who do we say Jesus is. Not who is he to you, not what do we feel like he is, but who is Jesus? We'll form lines in various places around the sanctuary. There's a gluten-free station in the back. And I'll, I'll encourage you to let your coming be a symbol of your allegiance, your alignment with him as king, with him as the boss. Not us to interpret and to modify, to change his story, but to accept it, to wrestle with it, and to grow through it. If you're not in that place right now, hey, we are so glad you're here and you're really welcome to just sit and ponder these things. We'd love to talk to you more about it. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts to receive this meal. Jesus, what an incredible symbol you've given us. This bread representing your body and this juice representing your bloodshed. We marvel at your sacrifice. We don't understand it, how you would call down fire from heaven on yourself instead of us. Your love is immense. Help us not to take it for granted. Help us not to be ashamed of the story that you are telling throughout the arc of history. 
Help us to commit to living into it today as our story. Bless us, Lord, through this experience, this participation in the body and blood of Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.